but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized at uh, Lake Minnetonka. Uh, I hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast here on October 6th, diving into everything Minnesota sports here today. And we're diving right in in our Wednesday series. We call this What About Them Wednesdays? And we take a look at some of the competitors, the closest competitors to our Minnesota sports teams. Starting off with the Minnesota Vikings here on our What About Wednesdays. We're looking at the rest of the NFC North here. And why don't we start with the obvious number one bullet, you know, rival, competitor, opponent, whatever word you want to use, that is the Green Bay Packers. And I had written in my notes here this morning, I was like, could they land Stephon Gilmore because Jair Alexander was expected to miss significant playing time now with the shoulder injury. And keep in mind, the Green Bay secondary has been giving up 200 passing yards per game. That's uh, kind of about middle of the pack, kind of towards the back half. Um, they are also in the middle of the pack in scoring so far this season in terms of offense. They're 14th with 23, uh, about just under 24 points a game, really. And Aaron Rodgers still being Aaron Rodgers until proven otherwise, until they're not front runners. Unless Aaron Rodgers falls off a cliff or like you actually see them lose games, you're going to assume not only Green Bay is going to be expected to win the division, but expect to win it based on all media source, whether you're talking local, national, whatever. Uh, but back to the top here with Gilmore. Uh, it, Stephon Gilmore was expected to be cut by New England today. It looked like everybody was going to be in a bidding war for him. And that bidding war turned out to be between teams because the Patriots got a call from the Carolina Panthers at the last second. Stephon Gilmore is going to Carolina. And that means that the Green Bay Packers don't get Stephon Gilmore, who is dealing with some injuries. He hadn't played all year, but really... I think there was just some frustration issues with New England that were just uh, kind of too much to overcome. So Stephon Gilmore is now in Carolina. He is not in Green Bay. And that points down to the Green Bay Packers. What are they going to do at corner? Kevin King has been kind of hurt, but he still hasn't been playing that well. They have uh, Eric Stokes, the the guy that they drafted. But he's kind of been playing more safety, I think. He hasn't been really a straight-up corner. And even if he is, throwing a rookie corner into the fire to be kind of your number one isn't always a recipe for success. And the Vikings learned that last season because there's a lot of growing pains that go with rookie corners. And if you don't have the right infrastructure to facilitate their growth, you kind of leave them getting kind of thrown out to the wolves. And in the NFL, the wide receivers make you pay, as the Vikings learned last year. And the Packers at least had... Alexander, who's one of the better corners in the game, and they at least could say, you know what, he's going to take on the top guys, he's going to do all that, you know, we could put Kevin King on the second guy just to make sure that, you know, he's covering the number three, even Stokes could cover the number two every once in a while, just basically, we'll leave him alone, he's not going to cover the top wideouts, and that way, and that way we can let him grow slowly, he doesn't feel like he has to take on and be the number one guy right away, well now, you know, obviously, and even if he doesn't play corner, he still has to play a bigger role in the secondary, now that Alexander is gone, uh, at least for the time being. So that leaves Green Bay in a bit of a conundrum. Now they're still 3-1, and one, so they still have a very good shot to win the division right now. They're number one, obviously, 
in the division. Aaron Rodgers is still looking like Aaron Rodgers. He's not putting up the giant MVP numbers he put up last season, but those are some of his career best. So he's just he's putting up standard Aaron numbers. He's leading his team to victory. It's through the air. He's doing everything. Aaron Jones is Aaron Jones. Everything seems fine so far on the Green Bay front. The one uh, kind of chink in their armor has been uh, with the defense, and that's only because Green Bay has always kind of went the Peyton Manning approach of, we have really, really, really good offenses, and the defenses, we just can never quite get to the level we want them to get to. And that was with most of Peyton Manning's teams up until, you can make a case for the Super Bowl winning roster, but they were still led first and foremost through the offense, and Peyton Manning and defense wasn't more of a game-managing type role. But it was in 2015 when the Bronco defense, of course, went to the God Mode level of the 85 Bears, 2000s, Ravens, all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of, but in the same vein as Aaron Rodgers is, your defenses are fine. They're not bad, but they're not good either. And so it constantly puts the pressure on the offense. And I know that they've been getting better on defense, Green Bay has. They haven't been awful. They've been kind of just average to above average. And when you have an average to above average defense mixed with an Hall of Fame quarterback, an all-pro quarterback, you're going to win a lot of games and you're going to make some postseason runs as the Chiefs learned, as the Broncos did, as the, I mean, they still went to a Super Bowl with that and they still were very, very competitive with Peyton Manning. But as the Colts learned uh, and as other teams have throughout the years, uh, when you have kind of one of these uh, dynamic quarterbacks. So with the Packers, they're still number one. They are still the most hated rival. They are still the team that the Vikings are chasing the most and that they're really going to be the only competition for an NFC North title is with Green Bay. Now, the Vikings have to do a lot of catching up, but this is presumably the Vikings are trying to get back in the mix. This is the team that they are chasing. The team behind the Packers in the standings is the Bears. They are 2-2. Two and two. They have two wins so far in the season, that coming, of course, with a win against Cincinnati and a win against Detroit. Now, the Vikings lost to Cincinnati at home. The Bears beat um, the Bengals on their home field, but on the Bears' home field in Soldier Field. But they beat the Lions, too, which are the Vikings play this week. We'll get to the Lions in a second. But the biggest thing with the Bears is I just think that they won't get anywhere under Nagy. They will never win a div- – they, they won the division in uh, 2018. They won't win the division again under Nagy. They will not do anything productive under Matt Nagy unless major changes happen or Justin Fields goes to God mode. And even then – uh, him and his rookie year, don't think that's going to happen. And honestly, if they don't make the playoffs this year, Matt Nagy could get fired. Um, it's just his instability to handle fields, I think, because the longest thing with Nagy was, oh, well, he didn't draft Mitch Trubisky. He was kind of given Trubisky. Now he's going to pick his own quarterback, Justin Fields. Looks like a nice spot. Kind of raw, but he's, you know, he's got the tools. He's fine. If you just develop him, he'll be a good quarterback. And... It hasn't. It's been weird. He's caught. Keep in mind, he's kind of from that uh, that Andy Reid coaching tree. So he likes guys like Nick Foles. He likes guys like Andy Dalton uh, and things like that. And it just hasn't worked. He's been trying to kind of force feed that because obviously Fields is a rookie quarterback, and not every rookie quarterback is ready to jump out and to start playing right away. Um, even Trevor Lawrence, who was one of the most surefire quarterback prospects since Andrew Luck, he struggled a little bit right away. Guys like Andrew Luck, they stepped in right away, they won. That's special. That's an Aaron Rodgers level of lifting your team up from where they should be. And Fields isn't that. And it's a little bit unrealistic to expect that. And Bears fans, I don't think they're finding it out, but Bears fans have to learn that Justin Fields is going to come along whenever he comes along, and you might have to play Andy Dalton. 
But it's not that Matt Nagy played Andy Dalton right away. It's that Matt Nagy didn't even give Andy, he didn't even give Justin Fields a chance to win the competition. And just that Andy's the guy going through and through. In the regular season, it was supposed to be that way, and then Dalton got hurt. You threw the rookie into the fire, and he hasn't done – he's to mixed results, I should say, in two games. Um, keep in mind they had that game um, where it just – against Cleveland where he just got mugged. It just looked terrible, all that kind of stuff. And then you flip it around, and then he played the Lions where he had some results, obviously because it's Detroit and they are just not a good football team right now. Again, we'll get to them in a second. But it's his inability to handle fields. And there was talk, well, is Andy Dalton coming back? Now they just announced he's the starter today. Fields is. And I think that's fine. But it's just even the game planning that they've been giving Justin Fields has been very vanilla. It's been very, I don't trust you to make plays. I don't trust you to extend plays with your legs. I'm trying to do all this stuff. And some of it might just be they still have to learn what plays work best and what plays don't. But when that's the case, you don't go vanilla. You go, what does my guy do well? Okay, cool. Let's figure out what we can do from there and experiment. Not, okay, let's make him Blandy McBland Bland and think that he's going to develop from there. That's not how it works. Guys like Lamar Jackson, you got him worked in with their legs. You got him worked in with quick hitters. You did all that kind of stuff. And then you worked into the, okay, now we're going to develop you into a pocket passer. They didn't go, all right, well, you're going to do your classic three-step drop and throw a slant. They're like, nope, you're going to roll out to the right. You're going to look for your read. You're going to do whatever. And it worked. And I don't know why they're not – now, Fields and Lamar are not the same quarterback, obviously. But why you don't do something similar or try and kind of copy it in a way is beyond me. But enough of my ripping on the Bears because there uh, is a couple things uh, with the Bears here. There is a couple things that I'm going to give them credit for. One, their defense is still loaded with talent. Akeem Hicks, Khalil Mack, all these guys are – superb defensive talents, and they're not going away at least yet. They've been good this year as they have been the last couple, and I have no reason to believe that the Bears' defense is going to regress to the level where they couldn't at least be a postseason team based on their defense. Now, with the rookie quarterback, it's impossible. With Andy Dalton, there was a chance, but the closest you're going to get was like 9-8, and eight, kind of that level. Um, but they're loaded with pass rushers, and keep in mind that pass rushers are the ones that have given the Vikings trouble. Hakeem Hicks has completely derailed the Vikings' chances of beating the Bears multiple times. But keep in mind also, Zimmer only has one win against Matt Nagy. He only has one win against this Bears head coach that we all rip up and down as a guy who's not any good. His teams, with Mitch Trubisky and with, uh, with Chase Daniel, have beaten the Vikings. So don't – we can't pretend – like they're a completely incompetent team. Matt Nagy's not a good head coach, but he at least has the ability to beat the Vikings every once in a while, which is something that they need to keep in mind here. Um, it's all fun and games until Mitch Trubisky beats you. Uh, the Vikings only have one win. Meg Zimmer only has one win against Matt Nagy so far, and that came last season on a Monday night game at Soldier Field where Nick Foles played terrible. So the Bears, they're 2-2. Two and two. They're going to be probably – a so average to below average this year, depending on how fast Fields develops. If he doesn't develop that fast, they're going to be worse. If he does, they're going to be that or better. But looking now into the Detroit Lions here, and we'll kind of do this as a mini peek into what we have for Sunday, but let's just take a look at them generally. These, they are still very bad. They are still big bad. They just cut Jamie Collins. As we all know, they are 
cutting bait on so they tried to trade him couldn't get anything for him they're cutting bait trying to let some of these young guys get playing time see what they can do kind of just move on Jamie Collins was a Bob Quinn and uh it was a Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia hire they need to do something else but their defense is still bad and the Lions are still bad Goff is not that good he also has zero wide receivers to throw to all he has is TJ Hawkinson they have nothing in Detroit in terms of offensive playmakers and their offensive line, which is the one strength of this team, because they have guys like Frank Ragnow, they have guys like Penny Sewell, they have some pieces to do something. But Sewell hurt his ankle. He is questionable for Sunday against the Vikings. Frank Ragnow, the he's from Minnesota, actually, went to Arkansas, got drafted in the first round by the Lions in 2018. He uh, is having a he's had a pretty good career so far. He's put on IR, and so he's gonna be missing an extended period of time. So the offensive line, the one strength of this team, or at least the one bright spot, uh, is incapacitated at the moment for two of the more uh, high-profile prospects that they have on the line. They're gone, at least for the time being, or at least Sewell potentially could be. And they're still bad, but keep in mind that they have played some teams hard. Remember, they played the 49ers hard. They barely lost to the Ravens. They played the Packers hard for the first three quarters. So I'm not going to pretend that the Lions are these... With Matt Patricia, it was, okay, these guys, we're going to come in here, we're going to roll them over. They're going to come in here, we're going to roll them over. Like, these teams didn't have any fight. You could tell that they wanted Matt Patricia fired from the moment he started coaching them. It was a mess from the beginning. I'm not sure about Dan Campbell yet. He at least seems like a guy that can kind of win over the room at first. With The the win, the rah-rah stuff can win you over the room at first. And then if it's like P.J. Fleck. The rah-rah-rah stuff is all fun and games until you play the games. And then if you win the games, then the rah-rah stuff pushes you, and it does all that kind of stuff. But when you lose, the rah-rah stuff kind of goes away. And I think Dan Campbell is all rah-rah to the media and to that moments, but I think he still is He's just a football-y coach. So I think when it comes down to when they're in practice, I don't think he's talking about biting off kneecaps. I think he actually is talking about the X's and O's and all that kind of stuff. I don't think it's as much of a used Carsman sale pitch as we all make it out to be. But we have no idea how these lines are under Dan Campbell. So with the Vikings... It's not going to be a rollover win on Sunday, and it's not going to be a rollover win when they play them at Ford Field later in the season. So you'll have to see what they can do with that. But they did look hapless against the Bears in Soldier Field. So here's the thing. If you can't beat the Lions, Minnesota Vikings, you're playing them on Sunday. If you can't beat the Lions, if you struggle to beat them like you did against Jacksonville last season, you don't have any business being in the playoffs. You should come in. You don't need to light up 50, but you just need to win like 28 to 7, 28 14, and be like, we controlled the entire game. There was no way they were going to win. It was fine. Whatever. But if you let them hang around, if you, not even to halftime, but just into the fourth quarter, if you let them kind of go down, if you make it down to a field goal or whatever, you have some, you have some bigger issues here. All right. And that kind of brings us to the last argument here, which is what we've kind of alluded to already, but one I just want to hammer home here. You need to get to 3-3 three and three by the bye. Mission 3-3. Three and three. That is the mission for the next two weeks. They need to be 3-3 three and three by the bye week to have any chance at really trying to do anything in terms of postseason play. If you go anything less than, if you go 2-4 and four by the bye or worse, 1-5, and 1-5, I don't think you fire Zimmer. I think other franchises would fire their head coach. But then you have uh, Rick Spielman getting the binder ready for potential head coaches, and then you have the Wilfs behind Spielman looking in files for new GMs. 
because that's how bad things can get if they go to 1-5 and five by the bye week. I don't think that's going to happen. I think at the very least they're going to beat Detroit. Carolina, I still think they can beat. It's not a guarantee, but, I mean, on paper, the Vikings can beat Carolina. 3-3 three and three is the goal because if you can go there, you're 500 by the bye week. You still have a chance to rattle off some wins and go from there. you got the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football at home. That's a beatable team. The Ravens, it's in Baltimore, but the Ravens are still beatable. The Chargers, they're looking better and better. Uh, you probably lose to them. The Packers at home, first time seeing Rodgers in front of the home fans in, front of a cu- in a couple of years. The Vikings will at least the, – the fans will at least provide a little bit more cover than we probably give them credit for. At 49ers, depending on who's playing quarterback, that's probably an L. And then you have Lions, Steelers, at Bears. You should try and sweep those three. There's still a way where you get to – there's still a way where you get to nine wins. You go nine and eight. There, That's basically the path right now. And this is the, I mean, their season could be over within the first month and a couple weeks after. So mission three and three is the goal for the Minnesota Vikings here. All right, let's look here into our uh, twins here. And one thing before is, is our What About Them Wednesday I want to make a special exception here and bring in the New York Yankees on this. Because as David Ortiz famously said on FS1 a couple years ago, the Yankees lose. It's always fun. And you could say, wow, why are you so concerned about the Yankees winning? Shouldn't you be concerned about winning a postseason game? And you know what? The Twins aren't in the postseason this year. And you know what? Neither were the Yankees after one day. So we're in the same boat. But there's a very interesting tweet by... uh, Aaron Gleeman, and it's very interesting. And before I get into it, I just want to bring up this stat as well. The Twins, a couple different stats. The Twins actually outscored the Yankees in 2021. They actually scored more runs than the Yankees. Granted, the Twins had a run differential of negative 160. So if that shows you anything about how bad the pitching was this year, that they put up still a top offense in terms of run production, but still were negative 160 in the run differential, shows you how bad the pitching staff was. But the Twins actually helped the Yankees by losing all those games to New York, especially that one in September at Yankee Stadium, that makeup game. And they also beat up on the Blue Jays a little bit more than they probably should have playing at Target Field and at Toronto, which helped the Yankees hold on because keep in mind, Toronto was only out by one game. If the Twins just would have let Toronto win one game, things could have been a lot different uh, come season's end. So there's that. And so great job, Twins. Great job. You're making the Yankees look better and better every day just by your mere existence as a franchise. And to keep it up from the tweet, um, this tweet from Aaron Gleeman, which pulled up here, the Yankees' playoff record in the last 24 years, in the last 20 years, excuse me, versus the Minnesota Twins, they're 16-2. and two. Their playoff record against the Twins over the last 20 years. Those two wins coming in 2004, I believe. And... That's an 889 winning percentage. That's really good, obviously. Versus every other team, they're 43 and 58. That's a below 500. It's about a 426 winning average. Which means that they're just a normal playoff team. Normal playoff teams in any sport are about 500. Yeah, like you're good. You might win some stuff. You're good enough to win. But at the same time, other teams are also really good, and you're probably going to lose too. Unless you're the Minnesota Twins, in which case you just drop dead to anybody because it's a Minnesota sports team in the playoffs, not named the Lynx, but even the Lynx choke this year. So welcome to the club. 
Uh, anyway, that's the thing I wanted to touch on with the Yankees. The other thing is with the White Sox here, I want to touch on with the Chicago White Sox is the White Sox are a paper tiger. I really think that they're beatable. I know a lot of people, it's really trendy to pick Chicago as your World Series team, and I can see why. They have Giolito. They have Keuchel. They have uh, Liam Hendricks. They have pieces. They really do, especially in the lineup. They have Eloy Jimenez. They have Jose Abreu. They have Yosemite Grandal. They have a lot of options. I'm not – this Tim Anderson, this isn't a knock on the Chicago White Sox at all. In terms of that, their talent. This isn't a knock on their talent, I should say. This is a knock on their inability to capitalize on that talent. They played the in a hapless AL Central. No team above, no team in the AL Central was able to get an above 500 record this year, except for the Chicago White Sox, and they only won 93 games. The Twins team, when they had to chase Cleveland, a team that could have won the Central in their own right, I think even if you took the Cleveland Indians to 2019 plopped them into this season, they probably win the division. The Twins beat them. They, uh, the Twins won 100, over 100 games that year. They won 101. So, you can't say that, oh, well, they, like, didn't, they play bad competition and, you know, whatever, and they were kind of resting. No, no, no. The Twins won 101 games in a better division. The White Sox only won 93. The White Sox record against winning teams has not been good either, and, They've, I, just, I think that they're, they're not a bad team. They're not an untalented team. They're just a team that, for whatever reason, has struggled against the top teams and have been unable to put it together. And the run differential, when you look at the playoff teams, is only fifth best. They have a 160 uh, plus. They have a, they're above 160 in the run differential. And it's the fifth best in terms of the playoff teams, which, you know, for baseball, there's only about, what, 10 playoff teams? So it's kind of hard to, to gauge that success when you're kind of middle of the pack in terms of the playoff teams. Now, it all can change, and it takes the right team to get hot and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying the White Sox are going to get eliminated. But all I'm saying is I don't understand the hype with the Chicago White Sox this season. That's all. And one, they just feel off. I, I, I don't know if it's Tony LaRusso's managing. I haven't paid that much attention to it. I think everybody kind of got over it. It was kind of sour about it, including Tim Anderson. But that doesn't mean that it's all good. It doesn't mean it's all a kumbaya. They've been winning. And as we learned with dysfunctional teams like the Wolves, when you win, like they did, like the Wolves did in 2017, there were issues, but they never really came to light because the team was winning. They made the playoffs for the first time in so many years. Everything's great, but... Then they start losing, and then all of a sudden, holy cow, it all explodes in your face. Which is why, again, I called the White Sox at the beginning of the season. I said they were a boom or bust team. I said that they were, they were either going to win the division, they were going to win 90-plus games, they were going to do all the stuff that they were going to do, or they were going to get, like, third place and completely implode and only win, like, 80 games. Now, the White Sox won the division, but how deep they're going to go in the playoffs, it's a trendy pick, I know, because the White Sox and a lot of media teams are going to pick them because of the large media market that is Chicago and all that kind of stuff. But I don't buy the hype for the White Sox. That's all I'm saying. I know we are trying to do our series here where we break down every uh, Minnesota sports – or uh, not every, every Minnesota Twins position, excuse me, and we look at them. Uh, we're going to skip that for today because of our What About Them Wednesday here. Uh, but tomorrow we will talk about the first basemans and we will talk about Kirilov and Sano and as they kind of fight for the first base spot and who really comes out on top. 
Um, leaning more towards Kirilov, but you'll have to hear my reason why tomorrow on the podcast here. Also talking about why the poll ads gave Derek Falvey and Thad Levine an A-plus for the season. You'll hear my full kind of a reaction to that tomorrow as well. Looking here now at the Minnesota Wild, let's take a look here as they got preseason game number three tonight against uh, Central Foe in the St. Louis Blues, a team they really haven't seen last year because of the pandemic, and they haven't seen them a lot. So they're going to have to try and learn how to play uh, the Blues again. I mean, they haven't changed too much. They still have Tarasenko. They still have all the kind of usual suspects, but it's still going to look different nonetheless. So the Wild are going to play them tonight. And again, taking a look at some of these other teams, the Avalanche, the Stars, the Blues, the Jets, those are some teams that the Wild are going to have to compete with. The Predators I'm not scared about. The Coyotes I'm definitely not scared about. And the Blackhawks are in kind of that rebuilding. We'll see how much of an addition Marc-Andre Fleury is for the Blackhawks. Um, otherwise, I, we'll see the Ryan Suter uh, going to Dallas. That's a big one we're going to have to watch through the season. Um, I don't know when. Uh, I can pull up the schedule here when the next time that the that the Wild are supposed to play the Stars. Um, but there's a reason why Suter went to Dallas. It's because he wants to play the Wild as many times as possible. And boy, is he going to be motivated to play them. Looking at the Wild schedule here, and again, play him because they cut him and just because of the way that the, the contracts kind of ended. They're not going to play Dallas until, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, on the schedule, everyone at home. But it looks like the next matchup, for the Wild against Dallas is going to be in December. So a little bit of time to wait, but of course they're still going to play Dallas a lot as the season goes on and gets going. But still, it's going to be a matchup you're going to want to watch, at least pay attention to, because Suter is not a big Wild fan right now. There is no uh, love lost between those two team, or between those two sides after that uh, debacle. One last thing with the Wild here too, on the what about then uh, Wednesdays here is the Wild have claimed Rem Pitlick off waivers and of course he's a University of Minnesota player as a Minnesota native as of course most NHL hockey players are and they're getting some extra depth. Uh, they announced that they claimed Rem Pitlick off waivers from the Nashville Predators uh, making a much more interesting battle for the bottom six role. This is according to Hockey Wilderness. And um, he was he was a third-round draft pick by the Predators in 2016. And he's been steadily developing his offensive game, getting more and more points through his uh, collegiate career at the University of Minnesota. And he moved the professional landscape where he spent the last two seasons in the AHL. So kind of a, a younger guy that really hasn't kind of scratched the surface. The Wild obviously likes something there. They like maybe – it's kind of – in baseball, they do this a lot. There's a guy who hasn't had a lot of success. Usually it's a pitcher. A team thinks, well, we think we can if we change his mechanics, he can be a really good pitcher for us. We'll take a chance on him, buy low. This is what the Wild are doing, and uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, – it doesn't guarantee him a roster spot, but it's taking a flyer on a guy that only has 11 games played and is still young and plays a position that they need more of. And if it doesn't work out, there really hasn't been a lot lost. So it's kind of a, one of those buy low – uh, sell high kind of things. One of those we're going to buy low and hope that it works out for us here with the addition of a center in Rem Pitlick here for the Wild. We'll see how that one goes. Obviously, probably not going to be on the ice tonight in the preseason game, but all eyes are still on that as well. 
And taking a look now uh, at the Gophers, we uh, taking a look here at the Golden Gopher football team, and looking taking a look at the Big Ten West here as we. Uh, as this is our final team we'll talk about here on the podcast today. Uh, looking at the Big Ten West, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Despite the Gophers losing to Bowling Green and how embarrassing of a loss that was and how much that potentially set your program back, uh, they still have a chance to win the Big Ten West. So all of that about losing to Bowling Green, they can make up pretty dang quick. Keep in mind, Ohio State, when they won the national title, and I'm not saying the Gophers are going to do this, but the 2015 Buckeyes, they lost to Virginia Tech right away in the season. And many thought that that sank their hopes. They came back. They won all the games that they should have the rest of the way forward. They were able to sneak into the playoff because they were Ohio State. And they ended up winning. And so there's a case to be made on a smaller scale that losing to Bowling Green, a worse team than Virginia Tech was to Ohio State, but still Ohio State was a much better team than the Gophers are, they still uh, have a chance to make the Big Ten championship game. Now, they have a chance. They have a better chance than you would think. It's still Iowa's to win. And that's where we start off here, looking at the Big Ten standings. Iowa, in the Big Ten West, is undefeated. They are 2-0 in the conference. They're 5-0 overall. They're the fifth best team in the country right now. And just taking a few notes on Iowa, it's the cakewalkiest year to win the West for them. I mean, Iowa got to the Big Ten championship game last in... I want to say it was 2015, and it was they uh, lost to Michigan State in that game, but uh, they they were a team that basically got in because they had just a cakewalk of a schedule. All the Big Ten West teams just kind of imploded, and Iowa just kind of steamrolled through and was able to take advantage of it and was on the cusp of getting into the college football playoff game, which would have been disgusting to watch. Uh, anyway. Uh, they, I mean, they just do what Iowa does. They run the football. They play good defense. They uh, win the turnover differential. All that good Big Ten football, Kirk Ferentz kind of football that Iowa's been known for, they've just been kept doing it this year. And looking at Iowa's schedule for the rest of the year, they really don't have any games that I would say are a toss-up. Maybe you could say against Wisconsin because it's at Camp Randall. Maybe, but the way Wisconsin has kind of taken themselves out with two early conference losses, it's hard to say that it's going to be the matchup maybe that was anticipated at the beginning of the year because Wisconsin's not even ranked anymore. Um, You could say the Gophers or Nebraska. And when you have to look at the Gophers as one of the teams that's going to be your toughest remaining schedules, if you're Iowa, you got to be pretty dang happy at this point, I think with your scheduling. So Iowa, they have the cakewalk to win the Big Ten West. And second place is uh, the Gophers, and they're 1-1. One and one. Of course, they're only winning against Purdue. Purdue is 1-1 one and one as well. Nebraska, 1-2. and two. Illinois, 1-2. And, and Wisconsin and Northwestern, zero conference wins. They're 0-2 oh so far. Sit in the bottom of the Big Ten West so far, which Northwestern you could kind of see coming because they kind of go in cycles. Wisconsin being this bad, you definitely didn't see coming, but you just, you know, as a Gopher fan, you just really hate to see it. Gopher fans really are losing sleep on that one. But with Wisconsin, they have a chance if to win the West if they basically win the rest of their, they have to win the rest of their games and hope that Iowa loses one other game. Then they have a chance 
It's not a very good chance. Their season's probably over. Their best shot is maybe getting to an eight-win Detroit car care bowl or whatever. And for Wisconsin, that's unacceptable for them. For the Gophers, it's like, hey, not too bad. Uh, But Wisconsin, looking at their team, I've said it last week on the podcast, and I'll say it again. They have the pieces. They're what Iowa is. They just need a quarterback to put them over the top. Iowa's quarterbacks, they haven't been able to throw for a lot, but they've kind of played a better Mitch Leidner in the sense of they just make the throws when they need to make them, and then they just keep going back to running and defense. Wisconsin hasn't had that. They haven't had a quarterback who's made plays. They've had quarterbacks who've thrown interceptions. They've had quarterbacks who haven't played well, and that's why Wisconsin is 0-2 in the conference right now. Also a humiliating loss to Notre Dame where their quarterback threw two pick sixes back-to-back. So that's where Wisconsin sits right now. Nebraska is the only other team that the Gophers really should be concerned about. Now, Nebraska is 1-2 in the conference. It's a slim chance that they really come back and make any noise in terms of anything in the Big Ten West. But the reason I say Nebraska is because they've been playing kind of well over the last couple weeks. Remember, they didn't give up a first down at all in the second half of the game against Michigan State, a Michigan State team that is ranked, a Michigan State team, and they did it at uh, in Michigan State, by the way, in East Lansing. They're a team that has talent. Nobody's ever doubted Nebraska's talent. It's been their inability to put it all together. And I'm not saying that it's all coming together, but it at least looks like that they're starting to gel a little bit. They completely dominated Northwestern last weekend, and they're hitting their stride. They got their first Big Ten win. Now, the Gophers have the benefit of playing them after their bye week, so the Gophers are playing them next. They have the benefit of playing them at the bank. The Gophers have played well against Scott Frost so far, and the Gophers have played well against Nebraska recently, so there is reason to believe that the Gophers are fine on that one, but Nebraska is a team that's sneaky good enough to maybe lose a game, and now all of a sudden there you sit and there you're stuck. So that's a look at the Big Ten West as well. And that'll do it here for us here on the podcast. Stay tuned tomorrow when we talk about the Gophers. We're going to talk about why the Gophers need to trust Tanner Morgan more and what happened to Chris Ottman-Bell, supposed to be a top wide receiver this year. We're going to talk a little bit about those things with the Gophers. Of course, we mentioned a little bit of the Twins. Going to be talking about the Vikings, what they need to do to beat Detroit, as long as some wild recap and Wolves news as well. We'll see you tomorrow on the Minnesota Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.